Hello and welcome to Further Research Needed. This is the podcast with straightforward questions and not so straightforward answers. I'm Hannes Feirer and I'm joined by my two co-hosts as always. Jan Philipp Reising and Christopher Wood. And today we also have a guest with us. Erdin Seskin is assistant professor at the Karolinska Institute and he calls himself a membrane biophysicist. Hello Erdin. Hello Hannes. Glad to be here. Welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. I think we should start with taking apart these two words, membrane and biophysics. That's something that maybe doesn't mean a lot to most people, but I certainly now am quite intrigued in, in the details and in how you think about these things. Yeah, thank you. Thank, thanks so much for having me here today. So uh, I think first question is definitely the basics. So maybe um, I will start with biophysics instead of membrane because membrane, it's a big, um, mm -hmm. I would say a universe itself, but I think biophysics is easier to explain. Um, so when we try to understand biology, we can approach from multiple different angles. For instance, molecular biology tries to explain biology by looking at the identity of the molecules. They say, well, protein A interacts with protein B. That is why how we are responding to glucose levels in the blood, let's say. So they're mostly interested in the identity of molecules. Biophysics is a bit different. Biophysics is interested in the physical properties, physical processes. What happens if cell A interacts with cell B? What kind of physics is taking place? So explaining biology by the physical mechanisms are actually the definition of bio biophysics. Uh, maybe I can, I can also use an uh, uh, analogy, which I usually use in my presentations, uh, which is the smoothie. So the smoothie that we drink. So you might know all the components of a smoothie. One weekend, you buy all the fruits and then you put on your table. This is going to be your smoothie. But before you taste that smoothie or the viscosity or the texture of it, you might not guess by looking at the components. So that is the biophysical properties of the smoothie. Mm. And that is exactly what we're interested in in the lab. We are trying to understand this collective behavior of all the components together, which we call it biophysics. Could I jump in uh, just add one question with this? So I'm a chemist, um, not so much in the biological field. Um, and some of what you've said overlaps with what chemists think they do in the, in the, in when it comes to deconstructing biology. So for you, how do you see the line with, is, is biophysics more of an ensemble measurement or is chemistry the ensemble measurement of the, of the, of the biological components, if you see what I mean? Yeah, Chris, I think in biophysics, we don't really have this line where, mm -hmm. where we would say this is a more physical approach, more chemical approach. I think biophysics includes everything, really. I mean, once you are interested in physics, you're interested in chemistry, naturally, right? And biology is nothing but physics and chemistry together, just in a living system. So in biophysics labs, uh, the knowledge of physics, chemistry, biology, they're all needed and used very often. And the approach, not, not only the knowledge, but also the chemical approach, physical approach, biological approach, we all, all need all of these and then use them regularly in the lab. Would you consider biophysics being a subdiscipline of physics or of chemistry though? Probably 
Yeah, I would say physics, but biophysics is really close to physical chemistry, mm-hmm. which is a subdiscipline of chemistry. So I define myself as a biophysicist, but I would be very close to define myself as a physical chemist as well. So they're really very close fields. Right. Yes, that was my my previous understanding of it too. In that, or I think my, one of my professors called it actually biophysical chemistry, which made kind of clear that it is physical chemistry and the same models and principles applied to biological systems. But in the end, the, the scientific essence of it, he would have described as physical chemistry. Right. Can you and, can you give a couple of examples of like what are the kinds of questions you are asking? Like what, what what would be the the questions and answers that you're interested in? So uh, one of the central questions in the lab is what is the biophysics between cell cell contact? So the mm. cell cell contact could be different questions. A couple of people in the lab is working on immune cell tumor cell contact. Mm-hmm. A couple of people in the lab are working virus host cell contact or lipoprotein and target cell contact. These are all, it seems like very different questions. We are working on every t- single disease in the world, but the center is so similar. It's always the contact between two, two membranes. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we're mostly interested in is it the biophysics of the contacts. What is the biophysical properties of the membrane in the contact sites between let's say a tumor cell and an immune cell so that we can use this information to, to regulate the immunity a bit better. What is the biophysical properties of the proteins that are in the contact site? Because contact site means it's a tight interaction between two different cells. Mm-hmm. So for instance, we and others are claiming that only the shorter molecules can go into this tight contact and the taller molecules cannot go in because of the biophysics of it. So this is not, this is exactly what I said. The, the molecular biology field is interested in the identity of the molecules but we're interested in the biophysical properties of the molecules, such as the charge of the molecules. How is it important? Size of the molecule. Um, you know, generally, how, how does the membrane assemble so it becomes a structure that somehow regulates immune cell activity? Mm-hmm. So these mm-hmm. kind of properties that we are interested in in the lab. Yeah, would, this imply, would this imply that... Um molecular biology more generally would then ignore parameters that that maybe I can't even conceive of, or maybe things like charge or size, or maybe other things like tension and flexibility of a membrane. These are things that you're studying and classic molecular biology might not see? I would say so, yes. I mean, it's not to blame the field, but it's all about technologies, right? Like it is, uh, you're limited by the windows that you're looking at. And the window of molecular biology is molecular biological techniques. I mean, you cannot see the size of the molecules by looking at some molecular biology techniques. And then you, you may not apply this directly. Even if you see by methodologies, you cannot really apply directly to cells. So I think biophysics is somehow uh, is a bridge between the physical approach and the biological realm. Uh, but I think the line is becoming not so, it's, it's becoming a bit blurry these days, right? It's, we don't have any more 100% molecular biology labs anymore or yeah, yeah. physics labs anymore. So everything is really combining these days. Mm-hmm. Could, could we go back a second to, to what you were describing? So the, the, the T cell and the cancer cell interacting. Um, 
previously in my head, it has always been the interactions have been mediated by proteins in the cell membranes that are forming complexes, but the membranes are held apart by the proteins that they that interact. I, I, do you, what sort of length scale do you start to see the membranes come together and start to the charges, let's say, or the maybe the glycolipids, whatever, getting into getting involved in, in this sort of well, this contact, this contact is a, is a few nanometers, maybe not larger than 10 nanometer, which is being, you know, mm. very, very small contact. Um, but it doesn't mean that whatever is happening is done by the proteins only interacting. So I'm going to give you a very simple example that will, that will show you how important the biophysics will be in this contact. So when this killer immune cells form this contact with the target, which is a tumor cell usually, they form the contact and then they release some toxins that would kill the target cell. But this con these toxins, they are freely floating in this tight contact, right? But somehow these toxins don't, don't come back and kill the immune cell. Yeah. So initially people thought, well, immune cells cannot be killed inherently. But then if an immune cell is a cancer cell, it can be killed. <laughs> So clearly there is something very specific to the immune cell at that time after it secretes all these toxic molecules. These toxic molecules freely floating, it can, they can kill the target cell, but not their own cell. At that time, that's very specific to the contact. And that is, we believe it could be the charge on the target cell because charge will be different at that time. The immune cell side will be charged target cell side will not be charged. Immune cell side will be a bit more tense because there's a lot, a lot of events going on in the contact for immune cell side, but target cell will not be. So uh, tension, as Hannah said, tension, compressibility of the membrane, charge of the membrane as an assemble will be very important. This is not, of course, this is not very established knowledge, right? This is what we think. There are a couple of let's say, still some thin evidence, but these are very interesting questions for us. I think especially when it comes to cell-cell contacts, uh, the field I definitely know basically nothing about, but I've seen a lot of people um, struggling with it coming down merely to receptors and trying to find more spatial. I know some groups who try to work out spatial characteristics of cell receptors and, and the necessity on that. And I think that goes a bit along with what you're doing probably. Um, so now I wonder how, what role do proteins play with the membrane? Because I, I put myself out there and say, it's not the lipids doing the hard work in the recognition, but usually I think proteins. It's very molecular and, biology. <laughs> I know, I know, I just can't move on. And yeah, what, what role do the, do the proteins play and how do you measure both biophysical parameters of lipids and and the interactions of the proteins how do you delineate those yeah so that's that's really a good question honest um this is a dilemma right what is what is really um driving the whole processes if you look at it historically i mean membrane is not doesn't mean lipids right membrane means lipids sugars proteins cytoskeleton everything that is the membrane membrane cannot be considered as the lipids. But let's say, is it driven by lipids, by proteins, by sugars? Um, so historically thinking, it was very much lipid-centric from 
1920, where people first made these first monolayers of lipids, mm -hmm. um, till 60s, everything was about lipids. But then, you know, we started the DNA revolution and everything became DNA, nucleic acids. And then protein revolution came 80s on, everything is about membrane. And that is whatever you, we talked about, we always had the idea that it is driving everything. So it was lipids, DNA, protein. But now uh, with complex approaches, you know, systems, biology, biophysics, we know that it's really an interplay. We cannot uh, easily say, you know, proteins are organizing, driving something. Uh, clearly, right? If you don't have some proteins on the surface of some cells, they can't be recognized by immune cell. Clearly it's the proteins. But also what about the sugars? Sugars are really long. We call it glycocalyx. They are really tall molecules covering the whole surface. I mean, if you don't have sugars, again, you might be recognized as a tumor or you might not be recognized as a target cell at all, right? If you don't have the right lipids in the membrane, the recognition will not be any more ideal. So everything will be dumped. So what really drives one process? I don't know if it's really a um, healthy question overall. For me, I think it's important to understand the interplay between different components so that we can use every single angle, try to fight this process, try to enhance this process, whatever our aim is. Uh, it becomes of course more complicated, right? Identifying protein A would be so easy for us, but I think identifying protein A independent of its lipid environment, the sugars, the cytoskeleton may not bring us so far. And that's why I think our cell biology knowledge is quite a lot, but collective, collective environment, collective behavior of these components, I think that is what is going to bring us further. Yeah, absolutely. So I can, could maybe understand how you could find the identity of a specific protein on the membrane surface. I think I could come up with a few molecular biology tools that could do that. But how can you determine the identity of the lipids around those that is much mm. less specific? How, how would you do that? Well, uh, there are a couple of methods try to get the lipid protein interactions, right? So mass spectrometry, you can actually isolate the, the, the protein with the lipid environment itself. Mm -hmm. So this would be one way and do lipidomics type measurement so that you can get the, the lipid environment around it. If you want the specific lipids. Around you, the specific protein, you would lice the entire the cell and would still get yes. part of the membrane attached to, oh, interesting. It is not super easy, right? This mm -hmm. is actually very sophisticated, as sophisticated as it can get in, the, in membrane biophysics, I would say. Okay. to try to get the protein with its native environment, native lipid environment. But if you're interested in just the environment of a single protein, but not, not lipid species level, let's say you want to understand how saturated the environment is. Is it saturated lipids, unsaturated lipids? You might use tools in combination of proteins. You can make fluorescent proteins, for instance, and then some fluorescent tools in the membrane so that you can see what kind of fluorescence behavior occurs next to your fluorescent protein. So that is uh, what we also develop a chemical biology tools that would tell about the biophysics of the membrane. And we combine these tools with fluorescent proteins, 
by basically tagging the, the protein of interest with a fluorescent protein to see if this protein environment is full of saturated lipids, unsaturated lipids, polyunsaturated lipids. So it is like one level down in detail, but it tells us the collective uh, environment of the protein. Right. Is that something I've seen on your website? When I, when I was searching a while ago, um, I think you call them environment-sensitive probes. That is correct, yes. Is that, is that what I imagine are small fluorescent molecules, which either are fluorescent or not fluorescent in different environments, or change color? No, that would be uh, too much. Yes, they change color. Oh, really? Wow. Yes, yes. So uh, this, this, uh, they are magical dyes, really. So usual dyes that we use in biology, physics, chemistry, you have a certain excitation, you just hit them with a certain energy of light, and then you get another energy of light that's fixed. Maybe slight changes if you put them in a very hydrophobic solvent or very hydrophilic solvent. But these dyes that we are working on, they are cold environment sensitive dyes. So if you put in a saturated lipids, they are very blue. If you put in unsaturated lipids, they are very red. And you can use the spectral shift to understand how saturated the environment is. I think it's, it's really funny that, um, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago, chemists were working very hard to make dyes that were stayed the same color all the time, no matter what in biology. And suddenly everyone's like, no, no, we want the dyes that change color crazily. It doesn't matter what, like pH or, you know, yeah, the, the, the hydrophobicity. Um, it's a complete change to the way they look. I've, I've seen a lot of... Um, more from the chemical aspect of what the the dyes are structured like, um, and I've always wondered, do you how do you feel about whether the dye is causing changes to the membrane itself, like whether that's because it's not a neutral observer in the system as a whole. Yeah, no, this is a, this is another uh, usual question we are interested in. So whenever we have a new probe we spend considerable amount of time to understand A, what this probe really reports on, and B, what, how does this probe change the membrane itself? Uh, a is simple, right? We think, let's say it is reporting on the saturation of acyl chains of, because lipids had, have head groups, which is the hydrophilic water-loving part, and then hydrophobic part is the acyl chains, their water-hating part. That's why these hydrophobic chains come together and form this closed and closed membrane, which is the basics of life, right? The initi initiation of life, which we can probably, I can, I'm just speculating, so. Uh, <laughs> you might have other opinions here. Yeah, mm. yeah, I know there's some RNA audience here, so. Mm. Uh, well, this dyes might go, they are going to membrane, right? They're inserting themselves into the membrane, but depending on where they, where they sit, they're reporting on different things. And this is what we work on a lot, how, what they report to. And then B, which is how they interact with the membrane. What, what, how they change the membrane is another thing that we are checking by checking, let's say different concentrations and see if the outcome changes. We do molecular simulations with the, our collaborators and in molecular simulations, you can clearly see how it changes the ordering of the membrane, let's say. Uh, and these are really important parameters for us. Before we start using those probes for meaningful biological applications, we have to understand the physical chemistry. 
of the of these dyes in the membrane. I have a, a follow-up question. One of the, let's say, themes of the podcast is thinking about the, the approaches of the different fields and the, the modeling that's behind it. And we have, I know that Hannes has sort of like a pet peeve with like, are we doing actual modeling or are we just collecting collecting data points? And I have that one as well. Do you see a difference between biophysics in that sense that you have more like this physical modeling approach having like a mathematical model behind it or is it in that sense similar to to chemistry or even biology mm, mm, very interesting very interesting um i would say it is uh approach wise close to both but it's probably closer to chemistry biology right uh, trying to see what happens empirically Mm. But it's close to modeling field because it's uh, supported by math a lot and more than other fields, right? Because we have mathematical explanations for many of the things that we're working on, like probes. We do molecular simulations. And then with molecular simulations, it is more or less like modeling. You just model by atomic interactions and mm. then see where the dice sit. And then this explains a lot of phenomena that we use in, we observe in biology. Right, but but it uh, still overall it's empirical uh, readout, right? Mm. Oh, interesting. So from from my understanding, um, such simulations are somewhat limited in how complex they are or how large the system they can they they still they can describe accurately can be. So an entire cell cannot really be modeled at atomic resolution. That's I think to some in the field quite obvious. Now I wonder how such simulations can um, inform measurements in actual cells, because I think that's what you're doing, right? You measure full living cells with, I think, the mm -hmm. method of choice then being fluorescence microscopy. How do these go together with the think, me membrane of the cell yeah, being so complex? Yeah, I think, Anis, we might uh, talk a bit about minimal cell and approach, approaches to biology with uh, synthetic biology. So for us, we really want to understand, uh, let's say you activate a T cell and you want to compare a resting T cell, which doesn't have, which didn't encounter any threat around and an activated T cell, which knows that there is something happening in the environment. So what, how are the membranes in this two cell type is different in biophysical sense, right? So while we are gonna put our probes, and then we are gonna see a difference. Let's say this probes that change the color. One is more red, one is more blue in the two different cells I'm talking about, right? Mm -hmm. um, but what is it really? Which property is really changed? So for this, we have to go to very simple settings, simulations, as well as experiments so that we can control the complexity so well that we can understand what dyes, what these dyes really report on. For example, so you have a membrane of uh, a saturated lipid, and then you add amounts of cholesterol, small amounts of cholesterol, right? So with this system, you will understand exactly what is the role of cholesterol, presence of cholesterol and concentrations of cholesterol on the emission of these probes. Or you can change 
uh, not only saturation, unsaturation, but also the position of the unsaturation. So maybe mm -hmm. it will be sixth carbon, ninth carbon. So it is like really difficult to control in biology, but it will be really easy in our minimal settings. So with this, I think it will be uh, uh, probably a bit of more discussion how minimal cell would explain the real cell, but it will explain the, bio, the biophysics of it, right? We cannot really understand the biophysical principles looking at very complex system a single mammalian cell has thousands different types of lipids. So we cannot really understand it by looking at this, mm -hmm. but by reconstituting everything in simulations and minimal cell models, we understand what these dyes report on. And then whatever we see, we think that these are the lipids that are different. So, um, in, sorry, this is, this is slightly off topic, but um, the, so I, I can conceive of the central dogma as the cell wants to do something, it expresses a protein due to DNA uh, regulation and the protein goes off and does something. But if the cell wants to do something with its lipid membrane, does it then express more cholesterol or express different lipids to certain areas on the cell to then get the, the, the changes that you've described to happen? Or is it more an environment, like passive response? Oh, Chris, this is, you'll love it. This is really uh, one of the most interesting regulation mechanisms in biology. So proteins, as you said, as overexpression or just uh, less expression, more expression, and then we have some kind of idea what the protein is doing. But for lipids, it's not only the protein itself, right? It is also the uh, uh, diet. With the diet, you get a lot of lipids. So most of the lipids actually will be from your diets because the fatty acids you get, you have to get your, from your diet. And then your diet controls uh, in combination with still proteins, with enzymes, let's say, right? In combination with those, they're gonna tell you how much cholesterol you have in the membrane, how much saturated lipids. But then there's some dysregulation, let's say, right? Mm -hmm. What would cells do? Proteins easy, just, overexpress one protein and that's it, or just uh, stop the expression of a protein. But for lipids, you can feed the cells with lipids and they, they cannot do anything about it, right? They have to do something to compensate for it. And lipids, the pathways for lipids, lipid biosynthesis, so complicated, it's really difficult to understand compared to proteins. It is very difficult to interfere because if you interfere with one enzyme, you interfere with multiple different species of lipids. But what cells do, if they're healthy cells, you feed them with polyunsaturated lipids, let's say, which makes membrane more fluid. The membrane will become more fluid, but not forever. They will compensate. They'll make other lipids so that the biophysics of the membrane is the same. Yep. So mm. they keep the biophysical properties of the membranes constant but not the composition, right? The composition you can change. Unsaturated, they make more saturated and the biophysics is fixed. Wow. That is yeah. why I think biophysics of membranes is a regulation mechanism because yeah. they want to keep it fixed. They don't want to change it. I'm, I'm, I'm realizing that I know so little about any of this, which is really exciting. I haven't had like a whole field of like a cell that I haven't thought about this this hard. But 
for, for, in order for this to work, right, there needs to be a sensor that measures what the membrane properties are like. Is there like yes. a established theory how that works? Jan, Jan, this is a this is a field that is gonna blossom. So there are a couple of people we actually published with uh, a collaborator uh, in 2020 about the sensor, lipid sensor and endoplasmic reticulum. But we also think that uh, this lipid sensor will work on the plasma membrane level. But the most interesting question that we don't know yet is what do they sense? How do they sense this kind of properties? So when we talk about the membrane, it is very important to know that membrane is a liquid structure. Right? It's not like a fixed gel structure, it's a liquid structure, which means there's diffusion in it and it comes with consequences, which means there's the viscosity of this membrane. There is the, the packing, there is deformability, there is compressibility. So a lot of different things come with the membrane concept. Mm -hmm. And all these things that I would say when I hear in the street that you know viscosity, packing, ordering, uh, tension, these things might be used interchangeably, but they are all very different for membranes. So certain sensors, we believe they could be proteins with let's say lipidated proteins, most probably. They might feel the compressibility. The paper that we published in 2020, we believe they report on compressibility of the membrane because compressibility is something that protein can sense. Mm. Uh, but, in the next years, I think we are going to find more mechanisms. How the sensors, what are the sensors, first of all, and how these sensors work. And this is, this is really, really exciting for me. I think a lot of stuff will come about this. This is absolutely fascinating. First, that you did find some sensor, even though you now didn't really share what, what, you, what exactly you found, what kind of sensor or what. what no, it's a, it's, it's a protein. It's a protein called MJ2. Ah, you know the protein, the exact protein, yeah. but not how it does it yet. How it does it? No. I mean, we that's, know what it senses, but how yeah, it does... That's fantastic. More... Yeah. It seems like, like a, I don't want to say a basic question, but it seems like protein interactions generally are quite well understood, right? People have been spending the last 50 years focused on, pro from, on protein. So it's such, a, such an integral aspect of proteins and their connections to membranes is still kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. lock and key. I mean, for cholesterol, cholesterol, for instance, cholesterol, biochemistry of cholesterol is known a lot. Cholesterol sensing is also a bit more further than other, any other lipid and biophysics. So there are a couple of proteins that we know they sense, they might sense cholesterol level because cholesterol is key for membrane. The 40% mm -hmm. of mammalian cells, which is almost every third lipid or every second lipid is a cholesterol. So this regulation is really important. And that's why the sensing mechanism for cholesterol is studied really heavily. Mm -hmm. And do people know how this works? Uh, how there... They know what kind of proteins might be involved, but how this works is not so easy. It should mm -hmm. be some biophysical sensing as well. Um, what you mentioned before briefly was um, a mineral cell, and we kind of wanted to go in this direction. What now I hear, and I think many people hear when they hear minimal cell, is a minimal living system that has the minimal... We don't even know what they are, but the minimal um, essential set of um, functional of functional proteins, maybe, and other structures that can sustain it being alive. Is this what you mean, mm. or do you mean another type of mineral membrane? 
that might be I mean, not, when not we say minimal sell, um, it's it's very much definition of life, right? I'm sure you talk a lot about definition of life in your podcasts and what uh, if you know what what would you define as live and dead viruses are they dead or alive uh, because we can reconsider the whole virus and is it dead or alive i don't know so for us what when i say minimal cell it is the minimal components that that come together in the shape in the 3d environment that we desire in the 3d shape let's say that we desire and does the job that we want and nothing else so for instance um we make minimal tumor cells which means we have a, a, a vesicle like a small sphere of lipids and the lipid composition is exactly what we want and then we cover them with a protein of interest that we want the protein composition would also be there and then uh, we put the immune cells on top and immune cells would recognize them as a tumor cell and then immune cells do their job. So for yeah. us, this is the minimal cell that triggers the immune cell function, certain immune cell functions and nothing else. I understand. Uh, but, but of course, this is not the minimal cell in the sense that it can divide itself, right? I think this is a still um, requires a lot of funding and effort to make a minimal cell with a self-replication and all the machineries inside. Yes, yes. So your minimal cell is not metabolically active, but it would perform the function to an, another cell that it does not know it's not metabolically active. Yeah, I mean, you can, metabolically active also, another term, right? We can put all the energy in. We can put ATP, UTP, GTP in, and we can make energy-dependent processes also occur in the minimal mm -hmm. cell. Uh, but we have to keep the energy all the time. Right. Some people are working on this, trying to put in this minimal cells because it's an encapsulated vesicle, right? Inside, you can put machinery that would produce energy so that you don't have to put energy all the time. Uh, but these are still early phases of this kind of studies to make like perfect minimal cell. I think it might come, but not yet. I have an image of the when um, zoologists try and interact with um, animals with puppets. And they are trying to like see how animals interact, like what is the methods of communication or whatever. And the puppet is a hollow shell of the animal that they're controlling. You, you have created a very like a shadow of a cell that you, are, you can control completely to, to interact with them. This is really, really cool. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a very good analogy. I'm going to use it. Phyllis, <laughs> <laughs> did you want to ask something or did I misinterpret that? I, I just wanted to clarify, but I think I understood. So it's basically you're making a lipid sack and then you paint the lipid sack in the color that you want. And then you see what, for example, T-cells do to it. So it doesn't have a nucleus. You're basically from scratch taking the lipids, doing something to, to them to form like the vesicle, vesicles of the size that you want. And then you kind of like populate it with, with a protein. That is correct. That's yeah, correct. Yeah. Uh, start, start, start from scratch, make the lipid sac, as you said, put the proteins on top because proteins will be recognized as a antigen for immune cells yeah. or any cell because we also reconstitute uh, viruses. We put viruses on top of our minimal cells and minimal cells are, let's say, um, we put CD4 protein on top of our minimal cell and HIV recognizes CD4 protein. So we put ACE2, 
SARS-CoV-2 comes and binds our minimal cell because ACE2 is recognized by SARS-CoV-2. Mm -hmm. So it's very minimal, but also very modular. Whatever you want to put it on top, it becomes a minimal cell for some other cell type. Yeah, it sounds like a really powerful model system to do to ask very precise questions that you can actually exactly. get answers to. Exactly. Yeah, like and, and, and the biophysics, right, Jan? Because now whatever we put on our minimal system, we know the biophysical properties 100%. Mm. We know the size, we know the charge, we know the branching, the lipids, we know the identity, we know the viscosity, we can measure everything. That's why we can solve biophysics by looking at the minimal cells. Mm. Now I have a curiosity question here. Um, you just mentioned uh, the coronavirus and, and HIV. Would they now, when they recognize their respective receptors, would they actually active or passive enter such a minimal cell and you could then find the genomic information in there? Wow, you're nodding, which the audience can see. Yes, yes, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm, waiting. I'm waiting for you to stop so I can speak. I would um, just keep talking forever. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, yes, yes. So uh, we can definitely reconstitute the binding. Uh, we are now trying to make everything together so that we can reconstitute not endocytosis because endocytosis requires big machinery. Right. But okay. Some some viruses fuse with the membrane, right? Mm -hmm. So we want to reconstitute fusion of the vesicles, mm -hmm. uh, viruses, so that we can see how they fuse. And if we can use these mechanisms, if we understand the biophysics of it, it could be a new target, right? This is not a grand proposal, so I'm not exaggerating. It could really yeah. be a new tar <laughs> target for drugs. So. I think this would be very interesting to understand these processes. Yeah, I think I, I saw a, a therapeutic uh, for malaria where they, they make fake cells, fake red blood cells for the malarial parasite to enter into, and then it's negating the malarial parasite in the, in the host's blood. Um, it, just, so it just sparked a memory of that. that do they uh, pre preferentially enter those fake cells then? I, I didn't read further than as to whether they could enhance uptake of the of the parasite or whether it was just a statistical you know the parasite would be lost to them yeah know, i mean not... i can i can really imagine that chris because um, you can put this minimal cells or fake cells you can populate it with so many receptors that of course it will be preferable over native cell which has a few receptors right mm -hmm. so i think you can make it very favorable and use the whole synthetic system as a target but i never thought it would work um mm. but probably it might work for certain diseases that are very simple recognition mm. yeah yeah i want to i want to slowly close this session this was absolutely fascinating for me i definitely learned a lot about membranes and i have read your latest review and still there was a lot more that we learned today Thanks Thank you for much. joining us. Fun for me. I have one last question. It may be a bit of a cliche question, Erdinch. <laughs> if, if you could meet one scientist in real life and hang out with him a whole day, who, who would it be? Dead or alive? Dead or alive and not Schrodinger? Yeah, exactly. Not oh, Schrodinger. really? <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, because that was the original no. question I asked last yes. Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, yeah, good question. I would meet El Hazen. Hazen. El Hazen, who lived in Baghdad um, around the year of 900, 1000. And many philosophers actually consider him the first scientist mm -hmm. 
not because he solved many of the misconceptions that were coming from Western world before, such as you know Euclid believing that we see things because we are throwing something from our eyes. Yeah. El Hazen <laughs> fixed it that you know it's the light coming probably from sun. That's why we can see things. Uh, he explained uh, shadows. He built the first camera obscura, but not for all these things. Also because he um, defined the scientist as the core of the scientist should be criticality. So scientist, if you are after the truth, he says, you have to be critical, not only for others, but also your own work. So now it also tells you about how those days Islamic world was leading the science, you know, the forefront of the science. And this was uh, El Hazen, I think for me, not only scientist, but also philosopher and a great mind. So I would definitely spend all my day with him. Fantastic. It is so accurate still today and absolutely relevant. Thank you so much. And thank you very much for joining us, Erdinch. Yeah, thank, thank, you. thank you so thank, much. Thanks, thanks, Jan, Hannes, Chris. It was a pleasure for me. A couple of years ago, there came this study out that um, basically claimed in neuro neurons, so I'm a neuroscientist, uh, so this is where, where my interest lies usually, but they basically said that instead of action potentials, kind of like traveling um, or like transferring the information along the axon, it's actually sort of like this ripple in the membrane of the axon that transfers the information and the inflow of ions, uh, I mean, inflow expo of ions is actually just a byproduct, is the, the downstream Ooh. effector of that, which, I mean, is a crazy hypothesis. Have you heard of it? Is there any? Yeah, uh, we just uh, wrote a grant about it. Oh, okay, okay. Yes. So we, um, with collaborators, one collaborator from Caltech mm -hmm. and another collaborator from Warwick. We just submitted an HFSP proposal right about this. Um, we try to understand if this uh, ripple effect that you call the ripple effect, the undulations, the membrane movements, nanoscale membrane movements would be enough to create some electrical potential. It would uh, start endocytosis already to create signaling mm. cascade as well. Uh, let's see if it's funded, we might have some results. So. Uh, it's super, it's super so cool. When I first heard it, I was like, ah, no, 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 fuck that. That can't be possible. And then you kind of like read a bit about it and you're like, hmm, well, actually, so like there's like the whole thing how it started is that anesthesia can actually, or like a couple of anesthetic drugs cannot be explained by current neuroscience why they actually work. Mm. And this is one of the explanations. So mm. yeah, very interesting. What would be the explanation yeah. then? That it, that it suppresses uh, this. If I, if I understand it correctly, I, I have no idea, but it basically inserts into the membrane and changes how that ripple moves along. Mm -hmm. So if it moves slower, for example, then you would just have depression of the system, right? I mean, we, we know this anesthetics. Uh, they really thought that they closed this anesthetic fields like 20 years ago, how they, mm -hmm. uh, their mode of action, everyone thought it would be explained. But now, like, I think seven years ago, there was a paper on anesthetics and they really changed the membrane biophysics in terms of phase, part, like phase separation, uh, uh, critical temperature is changed, mm -hmm. which means the rigidity of the membrane is changed. 
And then now there are more and more papers how anesthetics change the membrane bending, you know, membrane uh, rigidity, viscosity. And this would actually be a, a good kind of mechanism. I wouldn't say it is the perfect mechanism for this, but I think we should put all the biophysics, molecular biology, and neuroscience together to explain it. Because this ripple effect, it is a very collective thing, right? It is not only the membrane rigidity, but also the lipid identity that would form these curvatures, right? Mm. And the anesthetics change somehow the overall property so that now you have um, maybe uh, not enough curvature on the membranes so that you cannot relay messages at, so at easily. Least the, at least the haloalkane um, anesthetics that, that are the ones that go into the change the membrane. I am not sure about this, but uh, what I can say, like um, alcohol-based ones, for instance, mm -hmm. uh, they are definitely changing it. So uh, some of the papers they even use like ethanol and <laughs> you know okay. some other uh, other alcohol derivatives to mm -hmm. see how it changes the membrane. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. Thank you so much. I'm very excited that wow. um, this is actual active research. This yeah, took an no, interesting that's... turn past past our trophy. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah. yeah. Well, latest when there are results and published paper, I guess you'll be back on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. For I'll sure. come back. I'll come back.